The episode you're about to listen to was released back when the Mere Christians podcast was called The Call to Mastery. Now, if you love Mere Christians, you're still going to love these older episodes because the majority of each conversation focuses on how the gospel influences the work of our guests. With that disclaimer out of the way, please enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome to The Call to Mastery. I'm Jordan Rayner. This is a podcast for Christians who want to do their most exceptional work for the glory of God and the good of others. Each week, I host a conversation with a Christ follower who's pursuing world-class mastery of their craft. We talk about their path to mastery. We talk about their daily habits and how their faith influences their work. Today's guest is Wendy Speak. She's the author of a few massive best-selling books, including Triggers and the 40-Day Social Media Fast. She's a terrific writer and marketer, obviously both key ingredients to being a masterful author. So Wendy and I recently sat down. We talked about how she sold more than 100,000 copies of her first self-published book. We talked about the impact uh, that a conversation she had early in her life had about honing her craft. And we talked about the impact that social media fasts are having on Christ followers in their work and at home. Please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Wendy Speak. Wendy, thanks for being here. You're welcome. I'm super excited. Actually, I have a huge smile on my face. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you and I have traded quite a few emails you over the years. You've a friend without being one of my friends. I totally that's right. along with Kelly. Yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm friends with someone that's a friend with you, and I have some questions, and you've been so generous with me, so I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for that. I'm I'm happy to do it. And likewise, you felt like a good friend from afar, but this is actually the first time we've ever spoken live. Exactly. Uh, we We share this really great mutual friend, Kelly Stewart, who has recorded what's still one of my favorite episodes of this podcast, episode number nine. Kelly, of course, if you guys remember, is the great writer of award-winning fiction. So Wendy, first question, I'm really curious. You, you've known Kelly a lot longer than I have. Tell me something I don't know about our mutual friend, Kelly Stewart. Maybe uh-huh. something embarrassing, please. Oh, goodness. You know, I, I, I met them almost immediately after Matt and I got married and moved to, we moved me from LA where I was living to Dallas, Texas, where my, my new husband was my only husband. He wasn't just a new husband. I mean, it was only husband. (laughs) And we started going to a church and started going to a Sunday school class and Lee and Kelly Stewart were there and just immediately the guys connected. And when they realized that Kelly was a writer and I was an actress who also loved to write, they thought that um, we would be great friends. So I got Kelly's phone number and this is more an embarrassing story on me than it <laughs> is her, but it is her favorite story to tell on me. So I feel like it's the right one. Um, supposedly I called and the first thing I said was, so I hear you like to take tea. <laughs> Who says that? Apparently I did 20 years ago. And so we started this habit of meeting up at the Starbucks in Barnes and Noble in Plano, Texas. And we would sit and we would 
share story ideas, share our dreams. And at that point, I was still writing uh, screenplays, uh, just thinking maybe the Lord is going to open up an opportunity for that at some point when I was working in Hollywood as an actress. I just kept thinking, you know, I think it's screenplays that I want to do. So we, we did a lot of reading each other's work. And over the years, even after having children, trying to fit in where we were going to do our creative work when it didn't naturally fit into that mothering season of so many little ones, we decided to host creative retreats for moms. And our husbands were so supportive. And we hosted five of them. And we would get together and everyone had their own room and we would write during the days. And at night we would have wonderful meals and share what we had written and just share our dreams together. That's awesome. So those Barnes and Noble meetings, it was you and Kelly and your own little inklings. It meetings was there. And Barnes and Noble, we were just talking about Lewis before we started recording, uh, one of my favorite topics. So all right, you, you mentioned acting prior to writing books. Talk about that transition. Talk about your story. You started in Hollywood. You're working as an actress. How did you get to the place? How did God lead you to the place where you're writing uh, nonfiction these days? Well, I love love that you said, how did God lead you? And really, it's it is my favorite story to tell of God leading in my life. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where God speaks so clearly, your spirit feels like it's an auditory communication. I mean, it's audible, you know, it's just, it's so strong. It's so clear. And I was a freshman in college in Boston. I had gone to Boston because there was an acting coach I had wanted to study with. Even in high school, I had gone to LA County high school for the arts and studied acting. I mean, this is what I wanted to do. I never wanted to do anything else, except for when I was very young, I wanted to be a taxi driver. I mean, a a truck driver and have a rig. But outside of that, like it's only been acting. And so I was, as a freshman in in college in Boston, I was very sick in the brownstones. The the heat was different than I'm used to in LA. Uh, Inside the houses, it was cold outside and I had this terrible bronchial infection for most of winter. So one night I'm sitting in the bathroom in my dorm room with the shower, the steam going, as well as uh, I had Vicks on my chest. I was drinking the Rubitessin out of the bottle. And so it's possible that I was a little bit loopy, but (laughs) God spoke so clearly. And he said, because I was crying out, God, what do you want me to do? I don't think I'm supposed to be in Boston. I do think I'm supposed to study acting, but I feel like you have something very specific for me. What is it? And you've got my yes. And that became really the prayer of my life. Tell me what to do. You've got my yes. And, and he said so clearly three things. He said, you keep loving me. You keep loving others and hone your craft. Keep loving me, keep loving others and hone your craft. And I will bring those three things together. And I, and I knew in that moment that it was something very specific. I thought that perhaps I would be writing uh, one woman shows, touring around and uh, doing one woman shows that allowed me to transition into Bible teaching or the gospel. And that's really what I thought it would be for the next 18 years. I I was just kind of waiting for God to swing open those doors as I continued to love him, pursue him in his work, uh, love others and share Christ with them and hone my craft as an actor and a writer, but mostly as an actor. And um, I struggled so much in Hollywood finding the right 
um, opportunities. I had plenty of opportunities to audition and even go straight to producers for films and TV shows that um, were so opposed not only to the gospel, but my sensibilities as a Christ follower. I really, all those opportunities weren't opportunities and it was very stressful. And around that time I met my husband, we were long distance uh, sweethearts, got married very fast. I moved to Texas and, um, and almost immediately started writing. Hmm. I love it. And so today, this phenomenally successful uh, writer of nonfiction, I mean, your book, you've had a couple of major books. And, and by the way, we share something in our, in our stories as writers. Um, we've never talked about this, obviously, but we both started self-publishing. Yeah. And then moved to traditional. I know we got a lot of people listening to this episode who are really curious about self versus traditional publishing. So I want to camp here for just a second. Yours, and let's just be honest, right? Your self published books exponentially more successful than my own. Triggers was a big deal, right? How how many copies of that book have you guys sold? We have, we launched it four years ago, I believe. Maybe coming close to five and we've sold, I think, I mean, you count the audio and the ebook and the yeah. paperback. We've hit 100,000 just recently. Yeah. Guys, that's a lot of books. There's a reason why when you hit a hundred thousand, they slap a hundred thousand on the label. Uh, my, my wife read triggers, love triggers. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm curious, what do you, what did you guys do right with that self-published title? Cause a self-published title usually doesn't sell 1000. Right. Copies, right. right. There's, Good data support this. What did you guys do right? Yeah, I am I really want to give practical help to those listening. Um, and I'm a little bit concerned of sounding too um, just, well, Jesus, you know, he did it. But there was this element of, you know, that prayer that I prayed when I was 18, when I said, God, whatever you want, you've got my yes. And in a way, I feel like God swept me up in a narrative that he had been writing, which I I do believe that is what our lives are like. And I did learn things in the process, but in the way, instead of going into triggers with all these smart ideas, I felt like triggers was my master's. It was my master class in how to be masterful at writing and launching a book. And um, I never thought of myself as a masterful marketeer or or even writer at that point, but I learned so much in the process. So the story is that Amber, Leah, and I were writing for a a um, website for moms, and the woman who owned the website said, "I'm getting so many emails from moms who are struggling with anger. Would anybody?" anybody be willing to uh, host a a private Facebook group? And Amber was the first one to say yes. I think I wasn't quite yet writing on that team. Actually, Kelly was writing for the same website. And um, I think she was the one that said, hey, you got to have my friend Wendy. Anyway, I came over and Amber at that point was saying, too many, thousands of women are joining this group. I can't handle it on my own. And I said, well, I might know a thing or two about struggling with mommy anger. Okay, I'll (laughs) join you. And um, in that group one day, I very casually said, so what are your triggers? And it needed no explanation. 
And thousands of women responded, why can't they get their shoes on and get in the car? Sibling rivalry. My hormones are out of whack. My husband's constantly traveling. I'm doing it all on my own, all the noise, all the mess, and on and on and on. And the next day, Amber wrote a post and said, we're not here to teach you how to get your children to learn to get their shoes on and get in the car so you don't have to be angry. Let's focus on what's going on with us in those triggered moments. And we just started going through it one at a time. And I'm leading to an answer to your question here, a very specific one. We wrote the book day by day in that group with, I don't know, maybe 18,000 people at that point. And they started begging for it to be given to them in some way, like a collection of these posts. Would you please put this together as a book? And so very quickly, we did. And um, Kelly and I had sat under, oh, goodness. Oh, shoot, shoot, shoot. What's the teaching? He wrote a book called Marketing Like Wildfire. And I can't think of his name right now, but Kelly and I went to a a breakout session at a writer's conference where he spoke. And one of the main things he said was, give all your content away. Give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away now. And um, so I had already done that and seen the following. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Because then you grow your audience before you release your book. You have your following. They've already told you that they want it. And it was one thing you did so beautifully, just with little squares on Instagram, Jordan, before called to create, you may not have given away the content, but you gave away enough of a lure that people were asking for more of it. So I think we try to be really like, well, I want to be quiet. This is mine. I don't want anyone else to start writing about it. I don't want to share too much where they won't buy the book. And I think that the main thing that I learned was give it away. And the follow, the, the next big book that I had was the 40 Day Sugar Fast and I had been hosting an online 40-day sugar fast for six years and had 15, 20,000 people signing up for it annually. And at that point, I was like, well, I know I know that I could make more money if I self-publish, but I feel like maybe I'm supposed to traditionally publish this one. I want to come back. So I want to pause there because I I think that's a really important uh, question to talk about the difference and and why you made the leap to traditional. But real quick, I just want to make sure that our audience hears crystal clearly what you're saying, because there's so much wisdom here. Build your audience first. Yes. Give away as much content as you possibly can. And oh, by the way, as you do that, it's a means of testing concepts and Absolutely. figuring out what people are resonating with. I know a lot of people who are like, you know, God's given me gifts as a writer, as a communicator, but I don't know the topic. And my advice is place little bets, as many as you possibly can mm-hmm. through a blog, through a podcast. I, I publish a lot of content on Version's Bible app. In fact, pretty much all of my books are in one of 30-something Version plans, right? But it's a great, great way to test content, to find the right book concept at the same time that you build an audience. And here's what I've learned. And it sounds like you learned this too with triggers. People will pay for packaging. Yes. Right? People will pay for you to take what otherwise they would have to, you know, go to 30 different places for, 30 different devotionals, 30 different blog posts, whatever, and consolidate it 
uh, into a $10 package. They'll pay for that. That's worth $10, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so all right. You make the leap to traditional publishing. Uh, you sign with Baker, uh, who I, I wrote with on on Called to Create. Yeah. Why make Why make the leap to traditional publishing? I think a lot of people are curious about this, especially people who who have already self published. Why make the leap? To at it. Yeah. Well, and when you self publish a book, it's it's very easy. And one of my passions is keeping the cost of books low. And I know that that's not popular in book publishing, but for me. Um, especially because every book I've written points to the gospel. I just am a little uncomfortable with hawking the gospel. And so I've really enjoyed the fact that everything that I've written, I've given away for free. And if I'm going to package it, um, well, for the sugar fast, a lot of the women that want that are Midwestern housewives, triggers, stay-at-home moms. I'm not looking to take advantage and put out a really pricey book. So I like having some of the creative freedom. I like having the price freedom. And I've learned that um, minimum 70% of most books, but I think it's closer to 80, 85% of books are purchased on Amazon. I'd say it's closer to uh, 98%. (laughs) It, it, It may be. And the only books that um, that sell well in stores are by famous people who have been yeah. doing it for a long time. You know, you you can of course find the purpose driven life. You can find Max Lucado books. You can find Lisa Turker's books. You can find Ann Voskamp books. I I'm not I'm not Ann Voskamp. I I am you know I've got a a nice little humble start of building a social media following, but I'm not a huge. Um, author. So I didn't expect to get into stores. And yet I have this sense that I think the 40 day sugar fast is going to go beyond me. And so I told my agent, why don't we send it out there to, to publishers? But I said to him, I want you to know, I might still choose to self-publish. And we had such a resounding yes interest. We had five offers, and I took that as confirmation that the books that the that the book publishers saw it and said, not only can we make a buck off your hard work and your what you're already doing online, but we've got a vision for what we can do. So I actually, with a couple of these publishers, I had multiple phone interviews where I was interviewing them about their marketing team. And that was the first time I called you and said, tell me the, the, the lowdown on, on Baker publishing. And you had so many wonderful things to say that I ended up taking your advice and going with Baker. Yeah. And, and, and listen, I made that call. So I self-published two books. I went with Baker on Call to Create. I went with Random House on Master of One. And as my audience knows, I just signed a five book deal with Random House and I'm all in on traditional publishing. Actually, uh, we just launched a course recently called How to Land a Book Deal with No Platform. Because wow. with Call to Create, we really didn't uh, – you know, we, we had some you know, some Instagram followers. But when we actually got the deal, uh, we had nothing. When the book launched, we had a platform. But when we mm-hmm. signed the deal, we didn't. And it, yeah, and in the course, I kind of break down like how we did that, how we pulled that off. Uh, and in it, I talk about – the eight reasons why today I'm all in on traditional versus self-publishing. There are a couple of reasons that I would still recommend self-publishing. And by the way, if you're 
curious about this, you guys can actually watch the first lesson of that course for free at access.jordanraynor.com. And that first lesson breaks down all the differences between those things. But but you, you've had a good experience traditional publishing, right? Yeah, you're, have, you're all I, in. I don't know if you know this, but not only was it in all the typical brick and mortars like the Barnes and Noble bookstores, but um, it ended up in Target. It ended up in um, Hobby Lobby, I think has been the biggest book seller of the 40-Day Sugar Fast. They just um, agreed to carry the 40-Day Social Media Fast, which is the next book. And so did Target. Target is going to carry the 40-Day Social Media Fast in all 1,700 plus stores throughout the U.S. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm just sitting here. amazing jaw on the floor going, what? It's amazing. <laughs> because, you know, books are just supposed to sell online unless you're famous. And I'm, I'm Wendy. Um, I'm not yeah. famous. So yeah. it's just been really cool to watch this process. I still have the sense though, that I'm going to do some more self-publishing. I really enjoy yeah. the speed with which you can self-publish. If you hit a felt need in that moment um, and you don't want to wait two years, then self-publishing is a great option. Well, I think we saw a lot of self-publishing in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. With COVID and race relations and really hot topics, uh, people had to get to market fast. And self-publishing is usually the only way to get there. So, hey, you brought up the 40-day social media fast. I'm so glad you did because this podcast is all about the pursuit of mastery uh, Mm. so that we can glorify God and serve others really well. And I've talked a lot in the past on this podcast and my book master of one yes. about how, in my opinion, you know, and according to the data, right. One of the keys to mastering your craft, whether you're a writer or a marketer or an entrepreneur, whatever is deep work. It's yeah. the ability to focus without distraction for huge chunks of time to get stuff done. And to do that, I, man, today in our modern day and age, social media is is one of, if not the biggest distractions it in is our the lives. Distraction, and maybe not just social media, but no, it's not the, the ringing, dinging presence of the phone. Of the it's open the laptop. kingdom, exactly. It's the kingdom of noise, as mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis put it in Screw Tape Letters. Right, we are living in the kingdom of noise. It's news services. It's the phone. It's the laptop. It's social. So I'm curious. Was it your pursuit of master of your craft, of honing your craft that led uh, you to this point where you care so deeply uh, about this social media fast concept? Uh, No, (laughs) that that sounds like a wonderful idea. I did read Deep Work by Cal Newport and um, it did affect me deeply. Um, I'm also a mom of three teenage boys and I started writing when I had you know, right before starting to have children. So I've always had distractions. Um, However, I'll tell you how the social media fast came came to be. And then I want to talk more about this idea of um, silencing those distractions so that we can do the deep work, whatever that deep work is. It was in leading the 40-day sugar fast year after year in an online setting that I would say, you know, this really isn't about sugar. God never called us to a sugar sacrifice. He called us to a living sacrifice. So if you're turning to sugar instead of turning to him, lay it down, turn to him. That's what we're doing. So that's sugar fast in a nutshell. But during those 40 days, I would say, because this isn't about sugar, what else is it? What else are you turning to? 
We're, we're going from sugar high to sugar high instead of turning to the most high. Is there another God that you're, that is on the, the throne of your life? Is your phone on the throne? Is there a digital demigod? And over and over, I heard people say, yes, sugar was an issue, is, is an issue, but my phone, please, somebody help me with social media. And so it was in the context of already fasting with this, with this very Jesus hungry community where I wrote the book for them because they asked for it. And that's, that's sort of the same idea as what my triggers experience had been. I knew I hit a felt need. So I wrote into that need rather than trying to figure out what I wanted to write about and trying to get other people on board with reading what I wanted to write. I found what's the need and I pressed into that. So that's how it came to be. But I want to tell you what the subtitle of the book is because I think it it really um, will help us focus on our craft now. And that is exchanging online distractions for real life devotion. And in the book, we focus a lot on devotion to God. Instead of social media, let's get social with him. Instead of social media, let's get social with the real life flesh and blood blessings that God's given us in our homes, in our lives, um, in friendship, but also neighbors and the people not only online, but in line at the grocery store. Are we so distracted that we aren't even ambassadors in our real lives anymore because we're so distracted? However, let's go the next step and let's talk about what we're doing, what we're called to do in his image, in whatever it is we're putting our hands to right now that takes focus, honing the craft, mastery, work. And why aren't we doing it? And I think the answer is we are a distracted bunch of ragamuffins. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely agree. So what do we do about it? Because here's the deal. I, I've learned that I don't think people need to be convinced this is a problem. No, they don't. You're right. I think I think three years ago, maybe, uh, we, we still need to be convinced this was a problem. Everybody gets this a problem. Yeah. What's the solution to the problem, in your opinion? Right. Well, Cal Newport has a follow-up book to Deep Work yeah. called uh, Digital Minimalism. And Great I book. think it was in that book that I – learned just this one takeaway that I think is huge. And I use it when I'm fasting as well as I get, as I get um, my other fasting friends to prepare to kind of go back into life beyond a fast. I say, instead of figuring out what hours you're going to set your phone down, which hours you're going to keep all of the emails and notifications and news notifications at bay. Okay. You know, I used to say when the kids were young, honey, to my husband, let's, let's put our phones away from dinner time till bedtime. And that was a, a good block of focused time. So we could do the deep work of parenting. Yeah. Yeah. And we could say, okay, but my writing block is from nine to one. Okay. During that time, let's put the phone away. But in digital minimalism, Cal Newport says, instead of choosing which times you're going to put your phone away, choose the times you're going to pick your phone up. Yeah. And that to me is like, you know, mind blowing. It sounds the same. It really sounds the same. But you're saying, I live my life undistracted. However, because I have work and because I have relationships, I need to take a break from that focused life and be distracted for a moment by other things. And in a way, 
I'm not distracted because I'm opening it up with an intentionality. I'm saying I have some things I need to do. I have work I do online. You have work you do online. Uh, one of the things I, I'm assuming that you've done that I know that I've done is I've I've delegated. I've hired people now. I'll send an email or a, a Google Doc to my VA with all the quotes and the posts for social media Monday through Friday a month in advance. And she makes the graphics with templates that I already made and approved. And then she, she schedules them ahead of time. So I'm choosing things that will help limit my distractions. Yeah. So here's the mindset shift that I think is the difference maker between this mindset of choosing when to put my phone away and scheduling when I'll pick it up. I've learned in, in talking to a lot of different people on this podcast and outside the podcast, it's this mental hurdle that you, you've got to believe that you have control mm. over when you respond to incoming messages, whether it's a Facebook message or a text message or an email, whatever. It is impossible, I believe, ultimately to go deep at home or at work until you believe that pretty much nothing's urgent and you have a plan mm -hmm. in place for letting the VIPs in your life reach you if something is urgent. This is like yeah. the key to mastery uh, is it, just confining uh, the times at which you're going to be responsive and doing it in a responsible way that serves the people you're serving through your work and through your life at home really well. If you don't mind, I want to just comment on one thing you said here. Please, yeah. You said that, you know, learning that you have control over this yeah. is, is huge. One of the things that I've noticed when um, inviting people online to get offline is they don't feel that they do have control. And yeah. one of the things that I've said is the 40-day social media fast is not a digital detox. It is saying, I don't have the self-control. And so I'm going to, for 40 days submit to God's control. I'm making this a spiritual discipline over an area of my life where I lack self-control. I'm going to actually abide with Christ so in such a focused way that I will grow the fruit of self-control in my life. Mm -hmm. But I'm logging off because I'm out of control and I'm giving God control over this out of control area of my life, whether that's eating or that. social media, but in this yeah. case, social media. And I have learned during those times when I log off and now even a week before I log off for an extended period of time, I get giddy, Jordan. I get yeah. like, I get <laughs> like giddy. <laughs> like before you go on a vacation, I almost feel like I'm packing my bags for a virtual vacation. And yeah. I noticed the very first time I took a prolonged fast from social media. I walk different, like my hands were swinging by my side and I realized, oh, it's because my hands are empty <laughs> and things just started to change. And when I came back, I, I thought, well, I, I, I don't really want to, I feel like I need to come back, but I started putting boundaries in place. And I think we don't want boundaries. We think boundaries are going to be a killjoy. But when you think about like the straps that come over your shoulders to go on a roller coaster, those are boundaries. They keep you in. They hold you in. They they keep you safe. They keep you alive. So if you do a loop-de-loop, -loop, you don't fall out and die on a roller coaster. And so I've learned that fasting from social media, whether it's for blocks in the day or all day Sunday and 40 days during Lent, um, really helps me to recognize, you know, I get to a place of being out of control.
And so I give God control and it becomes a spiritual discipline because without it being a spiritual discipline, I find that I justify. Well, you know, I'm, I, I know I don't usually, but right now I need to because. Another boundary that I set uh, for myself that has helped me as a writer, but also as simply a follower of Christ is I put the word before the world. Yep. It is my... It is my number one commitment to open the word of God each morning before I open myself up to the world wide web or, mm-hmm. or anyone else in the world. Yep. I mean, sometimes I talk to my husband or my children beforehand, but before I check what, you know, if there's an email from you in the morning, before I find out how my post went uh, last night that I thought might be really engaging, I'm going to engage with the one who made the world, not everybody else in the world, and yeah. prepares me to receive, um, to hear from God about what my work is for the day. I mean, time in the word shapes what I write that day, almost oh, yeah. always. And um, so I know it sounds like it's not a part of our writing strategy, but it's part of our strategy as Christ followers, and it influences my writing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so for me, I have a similar habit. My phone goes to bed at 7.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. And I don't let it out of its room until 7 o'clock a.m. Uh, I wake up at 5 a.m. And 5 to 6 is time in the word. Mm-hmm. 6 to 7 is time with my kids. And then 7 o'clock, I'm starting to get ready for the day. So actually, I want to take the conversation in a different direction. Talk me through the TikTok of your day, right? For the moment you wake sure. up to the moment you go to bed, what does the timeline of a typical day for Wendy look like? Um, I will tell you a little bit about that. And then I'll tell you how I've learned to write anyway. Please, yeah. <laughs> because um, I, I'm an easily overwhelmed person. Um, I've learned this about myself. I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've ever talked about the Enneagram. I'm a four. I'm a, just an uber creative. I yeah. get easily overwhelmed with a lot of emotion. And I have three children and a husband who um, are not, um, what's the word? I want to make sure I'm speaking well of them. <laughs> they have high needs of me. Um, I, I homeschool three my three sons part-time through a charter. Um, and there are learning challenges and there's behavioral stuff that has led me to, you know, do so much personal work that it overflowed into triggers. So I have a very hands-on life at home. I'm doing this interview from my she shed. My husband built me a place to go and write. Now that the boys are older, I can do Love that. It. So I do have a writing working block in my yeah, day. So I wake up um, around six. I open up the word. Um, I like to open up a paper Bible because I love to mark it up and underline and highlight asterisk and write notes and write prayers and write letters to my children in it. I mean, I'm just a very interactive Bible reader. Right now I'm enjoying, however, early in the morning, listening to the word on my phone. So I've been doing that recently. So however it looks like, that is what I do first. And then I get up. I make everybody breakfast, which our friend Kelly, who is, she writes more words than anybody else I know. Uh, She's a fast writer and a hard writer, and I'm a slow writer. Hmm. Um, 
she keeps telling me, your kids can make their own breakfast, get to work. (laughs) (laughs) But it is just what I've done from the beginning and what I prioritize. So we sit down at the table together. We read through a proverb together. Uh, I make sure the kids have what they need for the day. And then once everybody is settled, I get out and I do my work. I have learned to work with a checklist next to me, a legal sized pad of paper. And I'll either um, start on yesterday's list that I didn't complete. But what I like to do is find those pieces I didn't complete and do a fresh page because it focuses my mind. I told you I've learned that I'm an easily overwhelmed person. Yeah. Um, I have learned that I am masterful at a few things but I fail at everything if I have to do everything. And so everything must have a place. I think we're all the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I get very easily overwhelmed. Um, And then one of the chapters I did not put in the book triggers, the things that set us off at our kids is I found that writing triggers was one of my biggest triggers. Writing or doing anything that really takes my focus time can make it so I'm very short-tempered with my children unless yeah. I've learned where writing belongs and where family belongs. Yeah. And if I know how those things fit together, then I can be fully present when I'm writing and I can be fully present when I'm mothering. And sometimes I need to stop being fully present in my work life because there's a need that comes up and I'm willing to prioritize that. Uh, just the other day, I was doing a Zoom party with the launch team for this latest book. And I had 50 people that had just hopped on this Zoom party and they were going to tell me their testimonies of how they uh, interacted with the Lord during the 40-day social media fast. It was day 40 and they were about to come back online. And four minutes into it, my son ran in and said, emergency. And I left and I never came back. I ended up taking a child to the emergency room. And that was a picture of there must be a place for writing. There must be a place for family. And yet sometimes we must let go and um, go to the people that need us in that moment. But I have learned because it's hard for me to work in a focused way um, in our daily life here. I find that during those three hour blocks, I'm very good at scheduling social media, maybe writing a blog post. Um, I'm not good at writing a book in three hour blocks. And I wish that I was, but I've done a lot of uh, careful analysis and talking it through with my husband. And I found that when I have three days, I can write three chapters. And so once every other month or so, my husband will take the boys on a camping trip. And I've learned that that's when my real book writing happens three days at a time over the course of five or six months. And I do write during those three hour blocks, but really the deep work, I need that much quiet for my, for my soul to settle my, uh, my mind to really settle and to do the craft of writing. So one of the things I find really valuable is having space and time in between chunks of writing to make creative connections and to find Mm -hmm. analogies, whatever. So Mm -hmm. for example, uh, I just outlined the whole next book. I I did something different this time. I outlined every single chapter in detail Mm -hmm. and then went back to the beginning and wrote in full prose. How'd that work? Uh, 
I loved it. Really? I think I'll always do it this way again. That's what but, I heard from people. That's what yeah, I heard from people. Because <laughs> previously I would outline a full chapter and then I would write that chapter. And then I would outline the next chapter, write the next chapter. But this time, yeah, it was the time and space in between that. I knew what was in the outline. And so lots of the, a lot of the best analogies uh, came, you know, for in chapter one, came when I was outlining chapter six, you know, four or five weeks later or whatever it is. So yeah, that, that worked for me. Is that why you found, find it so valuable to take those big breaks in between chunks of writing? Or is it just the quietness of, I, I need to know that yeah. I've got three days of quiet. I time. need to know. And, and I, yeah. I, 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 I think I'm so weird, but perhaps there are people listening and maybe specifically um, those who are juggling so many different hats right now that when I know that I've got that three days coming up, it's almost like I can, I can, rest in my other jobs. I can say, Oh, I'm, I'm here. I know I've got that three days coming up and I work like crazy in the days leading up to them leaving. My house is spotless. They are packed. They are on their way. I've got my favorite foods. The temperature is right inside the house. If it's lovely out, the (laughs) windows are open. I, I mean, I've got it set up to be my most ideal work environment And then I just go and I'm so joyful. I'm so joyful. One of the nights I'll usually make a date with a friend to meet at a restaurant and I'll take a good break and, and, um, just laugh. Um, But for the most part, those three days, they're just, it's, it's work, 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 work. And it's such a delight. I mean, it's my happy place. And so when I know they're coming, I've told my husband, if I just know where they're scheduled throughout the year, it brings me so much joy and relief. And if I have enough of them, then I know that due date for the manuscript, that will happen. I will be ready. And I usually turn in everything weeks in advance because I'm not a procrastinator, but I am a planner. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. So we've mentioned Kelly a couple of times, Kelly Stewart. So the book you wrote with her, Life Creative, I read from cover to cover and it hits on one of my all-time favorite themes, right? That our creativity is a means of revealing the character of the creator God. Can can you talk for a minute about why this is so important to you? Oh my goodness. Well, as a creator, I mean, I, I believe that everyone is made in the image of a very creative God. And I think that we get stuck thinking that we know what creativity is supposed to look like. My father was an engineer for his whole career. So was my brother. So was my grandpa. I mean, I've got linear thinkers that raised me, but they're creative thinkers. I mean, they, yes. they the, the way that they can make numbers and thoughts come together is very different than mine, but we're all made in this image of God. And then there are also people that 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 reflect different facets of God, not so much what we see as the creative, but other the compassion and and that's wonderful. But for me, as a child, a very young child, I was standing on the hearth of our family home and singing for anyone that would come in the house. And I knew I was going to be an actress by the time I was probably six years old. And it's just I've always been a creative, and I've always love Jesus. I mean, I've, I've, I, Jesus 
I had a sense lived in my heart before I knew what a heart was. And so <laughs> being a creative at the core and being a Jesus lover at the core, the two just somehow went hand in hand for me at a young age. So as I learned about creativity as an opportunity to to bring glory to God and to shine out into the world, it just made sense to me. And I think that one of the things that I love so much about Life Creative is it debunks how creativity is supposed to look. Uh, you might have been uh, a worship leader before having children. This is this is a book that was written specifically for moms who were very creative before having children and feel that they've lost themselves, their passions, their pleasures, opportunities, and. Um, and in the book, we talk a lot about, no, it is who you are. It's going to eke out of your life. It's going to come out in some other way. So be on the lookout for ways to enjoy your creativity and point your children to Christ in creative ways, whether it's the way you, you host parties and the way that you help in their classroom. And um, it's just, it's one of my favorite conversations to have. I think we get busy and we think that we've lost our creativity, but made in the image of a creative God, it's always there. Sometimes it might take a little more effort to find those opportunities to enjoy that in his image component, that facet. I, I started exploring this idea, I don't know, five, six years ago as I was starting to think about uh, what would become called to create. And I, it's still to this day, boggles my mind. The first pages of scripture, God could have told us anything about him. Yeah. He could have told us that he is just, that he is loving, that he is holy, that he is omnipotent. But the thing that he wanted our attention to focus on in the beginning yeah. was that he and we, as his image bearers, are creative and called to fill the earth. It's why I get so frustrated with children's books about the creation account that treat day six as the end. Are you kidding me? Day six is when God passed the baton and said, hey, look at this canvas. Look at this canvas I just made. Baton. I mean, I love it. He does it with create creation and he does it with light bearing, which is so similar where he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, you're the light of the world. You know, yes. I'm the creator. Yes. You're creative. Go. You're right. It's an absolute. Yes passing the baton. N.T. Wright talks a lot about this, that from the beginning of time, God has always wanted to do his work in this world through us, mm -hmm. through people, through his image bearers, yeah. whether it was in the Garden of Eden or now as we're working towards the Garden City, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. He's called, we're called to do that work on his behalf. Oh, so Wendy, in your, in your bio, I loved uh, this line. You say, quote, the goal is the gospel Always. Always. And we talk a lot within our team that we're not – anything we do at Jordan Rainer and Company, we don't want to just be biblically based. We want it to be gospel-centric. Mm. And there's a difference in those two things. So I'm curious for you, how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus and our redeemed selves and the redemption of the world, how does that shape your ambition to pursue mastery of your craft? Are those things connected in your mind? Does the gospel fuel you to want to get better as a writer, as a communicator? I think yes. I know yes. I have always loved communicating well. 
I used this term, hone your craft is what God told me to do when I was 18. But he spoke to my innermost being with words that I was already using. When I was 15, 16 years old and driving an hour one way to get to school in downtown LA to hone my craft as an actress, as a kid, reading through all of Shakespeare, all of Aristotle's elements of drama. I mean, I was really serious about my craft. I wanted to be a good storyteller. Before I got the call from the Lord to be his storyteller, And when he made it clear that I was going to be his storyteller, then I knew that the the quality of the storytelling had to be even better than what I thought at first. Mm -hmm. Um, Growing up in L.A. and then graduating from college and and going back to L.A. and starting my my acting career there, um, I would see all of the Christian films that were being produced and they were so so well-intentioned let's say but so bad bad. just yeah let's just go there it's terrible and i i started praying very specifically for screenwriters and for producers to produce excellent quality films that brought glory to god encouraged the church and gave opportunities to share gospel truth, Jesus as redeemer truth with the world and didn't make a mockery of the Christian faith in a very non-Christian culture in Hollywood and through Hollywood into the world. And so I actually, it was in that season after college working as an actress in LA that I wrote two feature length screenplays and I knew as I wrote them that they would never be produced. I knew it. And I told myself, Wendy, this is your master's program. You are getting a master's in writing, in screenwriting. And I love that it's called a master's program because that's where you should gain mastery. And I don't want to go out into the world saying, hey, let's do this story. And it is anything other than masterful if it's going to point to the master. Yeah. And it doesn't have to, those themes, those gospel themes don't have to be overt. We talk a lot in this yeah. podcast how just revealing truth is winsome, but it's got to first be true to the art form, right? Right. It can't make a mockery of whether it's a book or a business or film. Just because you slap a Christian label on it doesn't mean anything to outsiders, right? right? Uh, in fact, it can mean a lot of negative things to outsiders. We got to be pursuing mastery of the craft, honing the craft uh, itself uh, and finding ways to use it to uh, tell redemptive stories, and which are just true stories, right? It, it, this is where the world is going. We know the truth, uh, and this could be a vehicle for it. So, hey, last question on, on craft and kind of how your faith influences your work. You're in launch mode. You're getting ready to launch this uh, 40-day social media fast. I know from personal experience, this could be a very nerve-wracking time for authors. You know, is the book you know, going to be carried at Target, how many copies are we going to sell at launch, whatever. What are you doing right now? You're a week away from launch. What are you doing right now to remind yourself that your worth is not ultimately in your work, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ? 
Right. Um, I have a prayer that I've been praying regularly and I've been going on walks this week. I, I sometimes can slip into an anxious place where it actually is anxiety. And so I make sure I move my body and get some vitamin D outside because it's easy to sit down and stay in your seat all day because there are so many emails and there are so many podcasts and there are so many guest posts. Thank the Lord for these opportunities. I'm very grateful, but I must get up and I must move. And as I move, I talk to the Lord and my prayer is a simple, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. I am yours. I told you eons ago, not eons ago, years ago. I'm your girl. You've got my yes. Just tell me what to do. So that's all I am is your girl. That's where my identity is. You've just swept me up into this story, but it's your story and I'm yours. And so what peace that affords me. Yeah. I I wrote a devotional recently where it's basically like, yeah, just calling myself and everyone reading to get lost in that bigger story, right? We are one of billions of actors that have been playing into God's grand narrative of all time. And who cares about what the part is? Who cares about what the role is and how high profile it is? We're participating in a grand narrative uh, of time and where God's taking time uh, to his eternal kingdom. Uh, Hey, Wendy, three questions I ask every guest at the end of these conversations. Number one, books. Which books are you recommending most or gifting most frequently to others these days? These days. Um, I All time. (laughs) These days, all time, whenever. Um, I I think of all time, perhaps Heinz Feet on High Places. Yeah, that's been recommended a couple times here. Okay. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful allegory. And um, as I meet young women who struggle with fear, um, that's just a, a bomb of a, of an allegory. Um, mm. because of the season of life that I'm in along with my peers, praying the scriptures for your team by Jody Burnt is a mm. wonderful, if you've enjoyed like, um, the, the praying the scriptures style books, yeah. uh, they have it for your children, for your adult children, but the one for your teens, that's right where I'm living right now. And so I like to give that to people who are in the same life season with me. But my favorite book that I read recently that I've gifted to so many people, like I'll be talking with someone on the phone and say, have you read Becoming Mrs. Lewis yet? And they'll say no. And I'm like, uh, that's funny. right now, it is my favorite book that I've read of the year. That's wow. I'm really surprised to hear that because I saw that book coming. <gasps> I was like, this is either going to be great or, or oh, terrible. So all right, uh, speaking, I have not. So Ooh, I don't, I don't I'll do send fiction. It to you. Let me gift it to you. <laughs> okay, great. I don't I don't do fiction and I get that it's rooted in yeah, it's historical oh. fiction. Uh all right, so I'm gonna give something to you. Oh, uh cool. not not a lot of people are talking about this book yet, but I think they will. Somebody finally wrote a parallel biography on C.S. Lewis and Dorothy Sayers, oh. uh, who is the great detective novelist back in Oxford in the 1950s. She and Jack were uh, fairly close. Mm-hmm. And it's a short biography, but it's it's really well done. It's oh. really well done. I think it's called... I think it's called Dorothy and Jack. Uh, so I'll be sure to send you oh, uh, thank a copy. You. Well, one of the things of I the- love so much about becoming Mrs. Lewis is it's it's there's so much poetry in it. 
it, yeah. it's it's so and even the prose are poetic I, I i i sat there with my underliner the whole time i mean my highlighter i love it i love it who would you most like to hear on this podcast talking about how their faith influences their work you know i was thinking and knowing that this question was coming um and i should have done some some research i had a couple thoughts have you had cal newport i haven't and uh, so Cal and I have uh, exchanged a couple of emails, and so uh, I I need to ask Cal to come on. Is he a believer? I don't know where, he is, isn't he? So, so I don't I don't know is the short answer. That I suspect I suspect he is. All right, last question. One piece of advice to leave this audience with. Again, these are Jesus lovers who, like you, are just trying to do great work at work and at home for God's glory. Yes, of course. Well, I think the best advice I can give is what I heard God give me. Pursue Christ, love others, hone your craft, and I'll bring those three things together. That's perfect. Hey, Wendy, I want to commend you and everybody in our audience for the important redemptive work you're doing every day. Thank you for reminding us of the importance of eliminating distractions to hone our craft, but more importantly, to, to listen to God's voice. I think that's a big part of this. And thank you for serving your readers well through the ministry of excellence. Hey guys, the book is the 40 day social media fast. You can find it wherever books are sold. And if you want to connect with Wendy, you can do so at wendyspeak.com. That's W E N D Y S P E A K E dot com. Wendy, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And you know what I would love to hear Please. at some point in the future is someone say, I came across that book on Jordan Rayner's show and I used those 40 days to knock out the first draft of my manuscript. I love it. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear that. Well, thanks again, Wendy. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, especially those of you who are pursuing writing and the craft of writing, whether it's screenplays or books, whatever. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of The Call to Mastery, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode in the future. If you're already subscribed, do me a favor. Take 30 seconds right now and go leave a review of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really help us get this show into the ears of more listeners. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in this week. I'll see you next time.